Good morning, Whitland Hills. My name's Oshida, I'm the outreach pastor here at Whitland, and yeah, spring is practically here. This is why I'm wearing open-toed shoes, and I did not bring my coat today. It was lovely. Well, a, a couple of weeks ago, actually about a week and a half ago, I, uh, I called my mom to check in with her to see how her Christmas was. Uh, we've had a tragedy in our family, and so she and I haven't been able to connect with each other as often as we used to. We used to talk every single day. And because of this tragedy, she has been in and out of pocket, and so uh, we missed our opportunity to, to talk to each other on Christmas Day and wish each other a Merry Christmas. And so it was a couple days after Christmas, I finally got a hold of my mom, and the uh, phone rings, and she picks up the phone and I said, hey, mama. And she goes, hi, baby. Because no matter how old I am, and I've learned this now because I am a mother myself, no matter how old I am, I am always my mama's baby. So she said, hi, baby, how are you? And I said, I'm doing good. And she goes, how was your Christmas? And so we started talking about all the things that we loved about Christmas morning. And you know, uh, she was giving me an update on some of the things that were going on at home. And, and then she asked about how my kids were doing. She said, how my grandbabies? I said, your grandbabies are fine. And I told her all about our Christmas morning. And, and we started to wrap up our conversation about Christmas. And then she said, oh, baby. You have such a long road ahead of you today. You're gonna to have to go and take down all the decorations, and now all the fun and joy of Christmas is over for you. How are you feeling about that? And I said, well, actually, Mom, I'm not sad at all because Christmas isn't over for me yet. And she said, she said, well, what do you mean? Like, you've already opened your presents. You told me about that, that water floss pixing your husband gave you that you laughed at him about. I said, yes, I did laugh at that man for giving me a water pick for Christmas. <laughs> she said, and you told me about how your kids loved all the, the things that we sent them. Said, so how is Christmas not over for you yet? And I said, well, actually, Mom, you know, part of, my, part of the way that I like to connect with Jesus is I use the church calendar. Now, I don't come from a tradition that pays attention to liturgies and prayers and the church calendar, but there are some followers of Jesus who really uh, feel close to Jesus by, by reframing the way they think about their time um, through the church calendar, the Christian calendar. Um, and so I was telling her that, you know, ever, ever since I started paying attention to this formation, it has really helped me because Christmas doesn't end on December 25th. Like, I get to continue thinking about Jesus after Christmas Day, after the presents. And, and I said, and Mama, we are doing things right in my house. Don't you worry, my Christmas tree is still up because Jesus is still the light of the world. And she was so intrigued by this. And she said, well, well, tell me more. And I said, well, yeah, right now we're still celebrating what's called Christmas time. But my favorite day's coming, Mama. And she said, what's your favorite day? And I said, January 6th is coming. And January 6th is Epiphany. And she said, oh, you mean like an aha moment? And I said, yes, <laughs> like an aha moment. But an aha moment about Jesus. For many believers right now, today we are celebrating Epiphany. And Epiphany is a season right after Christmas. It's a special time leading up uh, from 12 days after Christmas all the way through Ash Wednesday, where Christians are, are remembering the ways that Jesus made himself real. How Jesus manifested himself for all people in unique and personal and relevant ways. So we look at things like his baptism. We look at things like when he turned the water to wine. 
And then the very first day of Epiphany, we look at the visit of the Magi, which is what we're going to talk about today. Some believers like to call this season the Theophany, and I like this because the Theophany means a visible manifestation, a real nitty-gritty, practical manifestation of Jesus as King, as Lord, as God for all. It emphasizes that we can, we can re- re- relate and connect with God in, a, in our physical human sense. And this central theme of Christ's revelation as tangible and real for us reminds us that oftentimes the beauty of God is hidden in plain view and that God desires to unveil it to us. And so Epiphany is basically us getting to carry on for 40 more days, our God showing up practice of looking for the ways where God has revealed God's self in tangible, real ways. Epiphany is not just for those of us who like to use the church calendar, who, who prefer to connect with God with liturgy. Epiphany is for every single one of us. You know, some of you are practicing epiphany and you don't even know it. You're moving through your life and you're looking for God's sightings here and there. And you're saying, God has made himself real for me. God has shown God's self as mother God to me. That is real for me. God is real in my life. And so today we're going to look at the Magi visit, and we're going to pull what I'm calling everyday epiphanies, things that we can look for in our everyday life that point us to how real Jesus is for us and how we can connect with God. So if you will join me in prayer, we will ask the Lord to illuminate himself to us in this time. Oh, Jesus. Wow, you are so real, and you are so present And you are so for us, and we know that, Lord. So we just acknowledge, we don't even ask for you to be here, you are here. So we just acknowledge that you're in this place. And we say, Lord, we will open our eyes and turn our hearts and open our ears to hear you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Move in our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, so let's, let's look at our passage. Uh, in Matthew 2, uh, this is the, the famous visit of the Magi, which we typically talk about around Christmas time. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and, it, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for it is what the prophet has written, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So as we look at our passage today, there are three everyday epiphanies that we are going to talk about. So the first everyday epiphany is, come just as you are. The next everyday epiphany that we're going to talk about is, come and know your worth. And the last everyday epiphany that we're going to talk about is, come and see, go and tell. Now, in order for us to first enter into our our first uh, everyday epiphany of come just as you are, it is important for us to know exactly who the Magi are. They are key key characters, key figures in the story, so we need to know who they are. Well, the Magi um, were scholars or scientists. They were were, uh, religious men from Persia. Who, who came to visit Jesus, a Jewish king in Bethlehem. These are men from Persia, and that's modern-day Iran or Iraq, Afghanistan or Syria. So these are men who traveled over 500 miles, leaving their country, going to another country to find the king, following a star that they had seen. The Magi were the ultimate outsiders. They were men who were looking for truth in the world in, 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 a, in a way that may have felt very controversial to the people that they were, they were, initially, they were eventually called to go visit. They were people who were leaving their country of origin and leaving their culture and leaving a space where they felt so comfortable taking this long journey to worship one of the most vulnerable things we could possibly do to a Jewish toddler in a Jewish home. You know, around here at Woodland, we like to talk about that God is omni-resourceful, meaning God will use anything and everything God can to get our attention. That God is not scared of our, of our different ways of getting to know him and our, and our questions that we ask. That God reveals God's self in light and we follow that light until we find Jesus. And this is what these outsiders did. They, they knew that they were going to be in a place where they felt wildly uncomfortable, like they didn't fit in, and yet they followed the light to find the truth. So our first everyday epiphany Come as you are is a call to every single one of us who may feel like we are an outsider. We may feel like we we don't have a place here in our community. Maybe because you feel like you lack education or you or your occupation. Maybe you feel like you're you don't have the right, the high enough IQ, or you struggle with mental health, or you're differently abled, and so you feel like you don't fit in. Epiphany says, come just as you are. Maybe some of us feel like, you know, things like our orientation or the questions that we're always asking or the ways that we're looking for God. We feel like we don't fit in. Epiphany says, come, there's light, follow the light, just as you are. Maybe some of us feel like we are always letting people down. We're letting ourselves down, we're letting others down, and ultimately that means we're letting God down, so there's no place for you. But Epiphany says, come, just as you are. There is room for you here in the presence of Jesus. 
Epiphany is also a time where we as a collective body acknowledge that Jesus revealed himself as King and Lord for all, including the Gentiles. Because these Persian men left their country to worship a Jewish king, that there is something powerful about the way we look at culture, the way we look at race, and the way we look at Jesus as king of all. And that part of Epiphany really speaks to me. As a black Christian who got saved very young, was saved around five years old, in this beautiful Assembly of God church that was mostly white, in this town that was a mostly white town, going to a school that was predominantly white. And I was okay with it because you're, you're five and you don't question that. And so I got saved in this church and these people loved me so well. I didn't, didn't think about race because they, they manifested the love of Jesus to me. But see, here's what was happening in little five-year-old and six-year-old and nine-year-old and 12-year-old Oshida in that church. is I was going home and being my full self at home. I was eating the food of my family and listening to Motown and talking about things that we as a black family talked about. And then I was going to church and I felt like I couldn't bring any of that with me into the church. I was becoming two different people and I always wondered, isn't the church supposed to be the place where I am loved, holy, all of it? But because I wanted to be a peacemaker, because I care about unity, because I know that race and racism is a conversation that is so hard to have, and because I didn't want to be that person, I was already that person around theology, here I am going to be that person about race, I decided not to ever talk about it. But then my picture of God changed. My picture of God changed to a God who, who says you have a measurable worth just as you are. My picture of God changed to a creative creator God who looked at me and smiled because my skin was going to be so brown. I, looked at, I had this picture of God who said, yeah, I'm connecting with you in this gospel music, and I'm connecting with you across the table. I'm connecting with you with black theologians. Who you are is just the person I made you to be. I did not make you a mistake. And when I started to own that, I had this huge tension within me, because now I'm a more mature Christian, committed to multiculturalism, committed to being a peacemaker, and yet I am starting to own my full self, and I want to be able to do it in a church context with my brothers and sisters of many different cultures. And yet, I know that the only way to talk about that, to get to that place of wholeness, is to talk about race. And so every single time I bring up race, or every single time I see in scripture, oh, this is God honoring cultures. This is God calling us to be our full Asian, or Latino, or black, or white self. Every time I see that, and I call it out, there is this one question that comes up, and it is such a valid question. Why does everything have to be about race? There is neither slave, nor free, nor Jew, nor Gentile in Jesus. Why do you have to bring up race? Well, the answer is this. Because race and racial division is one of the great hostilities of our day. 
And if we believe Ephesians 2.14, that Jesus tore down the wall of hostility, that Jesus, our Prince of Peace, modeled peace by breaking down anything that caused hostility and brokenness in our relationship, if we believe that is true, then our kingdom calling is to be on the front line of that battle. Our kingdom calling is to say it's going to hurt and it's going to be awkward, but we're going to talk about race. And we're going to hear the best of each other because if there is not, if there's anything, nothing you take away from this message today, here's what I hope you take away. That anytime your brother or sister of color comes to you and tells them how racism affects them, when something happens in the world that is racially charged and they come to you and they say, where is Christ in this? I am feeling broken about this. Are you an okay person to talk to about this? They are not bringing it up to cause division and strife. It is an honest, humble bid for authentic connection. It is us coming to our brother and sister and saying, I need to be loved. I need you to see me. Can you carry this burden with me? Can I hear your stories and can you hear my stories? And can our story change the world? It is not for conflict that we bring up race. It is for freedom that we bring up race. And Epiphany reminds us that Jesus, our King of Kings, our Prince of Peace, came to break down those walls of division. So I say to all of you, my brothers and sisters of color in this room, if you've ever felt like you didn't fit in, I hope that that's not the case here at Woodland because we try so hard to make that a space for you. And pod parishioners, if you feel like you are not connected, you feel like you have to be two different people, know that you can come just as you are. So Epiphany invites us to come just as we are. But then Epiphany invites us to come and know our worth. Epiphany, um, like I said, it's time where we read that story of the Magi. And as I was telling my mama about it, I said, oh yeah, mama, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about the Magi. And she goes, oh baby, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh? And I said, yes, yes, mama, yes. Because that is typically what we think about when we think about the story of the Magi, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And so there are so many uh, great things that we can read about, and um, a lot of theologians have thoughts about what the meanings of each one of these gifts mean, the symbolism behind it. You know, some say that it, it points back to, um, it shows how the Magi in their epiphany were honoring Jesus as who he truly is, as priest and king and savior, pointing to the fact that he is going to die for the world, die uh, to conquer sin and death. Um, but we're not going to hang out there. We're not going to talk about the symbolism. We're going to talk about the actual, the actual act of giving these gifts. Because one thing that I learned that has stayed with me is that many people believe that the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh were wildly impractical for a toddler. And I've raised three toddlers. I know you don't want something that's going to break around those babies. I once saw a meme this week of three women bringing casseroles, three magi women bringing casseroles to Jesus. I'm like, I'm there. Hot dish it up. Yes, Lord. But actually, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh 
were used by Mary and Joseph to fund their exit from Bethlehem to avoid the slaughter of the innocents. They were able to use the, 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 the resources that came from that, the money that came from that, for Joseph to go set up a whole new life in Egypt so that Jesus can be born, Jesus can be raised and cared for and grow into a man so he can start his ministry and die and rise again. Epiphany invites us to come and bring our gifts, however impractical, however insecure we may feel about them. Come and bring our gifts to the Lord and watch the ripple effect that comes from that gift. I know so many of us in this room may struggle with feeling like we don't have enough to give. Maybe we think we're not smart enough, we don't have enough expertise, we don't have enough education, we don't have enough money, resources, actual time, energy. And we'd say, we don't have it, so we're just not going to do it. But Epiphany invites us to come and take whatever it is we have to give and give it for the Lord and watch how the Lord will use it. When we were in Boston, like I told you guys last week, we were living in public housing because we evacuated New Orleans and moved into public housing in Boston. While my husband was in seminary and he was working a part-time job, we had three little ones, about five, six, seven and under. They were tiny and annoying. And... And so we were, always, we were always just at living paycheck to paycheck, trusting God for provision for, for just our daily life. And, and one time, always, the time that always stressed me out was Christmas. I always worried how we were going to be able to provide Christmas gifts for our kids who are little, and they just don't get down with their parents' super-duper theology of, we're just not going to get gifts. <laughs> so here I am receiving help from others, in order to provide Christmas gifts for my kids. And I receive an evite from a friend who invites me to an epiphany party. And this is one of the first times um, I started engaging with the idea of epiphany. And and she said, it's at the end of our Christmas season, and it's our time where we're going to come together. There's going to be board games. I'm going to cater in a meal. And I just want us to recognize the gift of community. And then, if you can, bring a gift um, for the homeless individuals that I work with. She was a nurse and she would sometimes volunteer at a homeless shelter. She said they're always looking for socks and sneakers. And as your outreach pastor, I would tell you that when I interact with some of our, our partners who, who particularly focus on binding up the brokenness around homelessness in our city, they are always asking for socks and shoes. So I got this email. I'm thinking, okay, yes, these kids are annoying. They don't they don't want to not do gifts this Christmas, so they're going to get gifts, but I still have to have a teachable moment, right? Kingdom teachable mom, here we go. So I said, okay, we're going to do this. But I turned to my husband and I said, we have no money. Like, I literally just went to a resource center and got socks and shoes for our own kids. How are we going to go to this party with our head held high? And I said, oh, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Um, we are going to watch and see who RSVPs to this party. And the ones we know that have money, what we're going to do is we're going to ask them when they're coming, and then we're just like going to go in as a whole group. Like, it's a, it's a group gift, yeah? Yeah. And I said, okay, so we're going to call this Operation Sneak In with the Rich. And my husband said, okay, we could do that, or we could ask Jesus to provide for us so we can provide for them. And I said, look at you being all spiritually mature and having integrity. (laughs) So I said, okay, Jesus, my husband is down for trusting you. I want a teachable moment with my kids, so I'm going to trust you. 
And in my mind, I had a, a very particular picture of how Jesus was gonna provide. It was gonna come in the form of a Target gift card. <laughs> I was gonna get this gift card and it was gonna be a moment of Jesus seeing me because he knows I love to walk through Target just aimlessly with my iPod going. And then he also knows I love to buy stuff for other people. So I said, okay, Lord, two birds, one stone, generosity, here we go, Target gift card. And so I'm waiting and waiting for the Target gift card and it's not coming. How rude, Jesus. And so I get a letter, because our kids were a part of a program where they were receiving Christmas gifts. So I get a letter and says, it's our turn to come to the center, and um, I can pick out the gifts that uh, my kids want. And, and I loved this format because it, it really dignified our family. You know, it, it gave us a feel of walking into a store and having agency to pick out what our kids could and would want for Christmas. And so I walk in, and I'm like thinking, okay, I'm just going to get these gifts and I'm going to leave. And I walk in, and almost like the heavens opening up, there is a table full of socks and shoes, just like right over here. So I'm checking my little, my little uh, paper that has like what I'm able to pick up, and, and socks and shoes are on it. And I'm thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use socks and shoes that they're giving me, giving to my kids. I'm just going to take it to the party. Then we can come and go anytime we want. We don't have to wait for the rich people to go in. So... I walk in and I'm, I'm walking through and, and I'm thinking, okay, this, I guess this is the way you're gonna provide Jesus. You know, Rob, Peter, pay Paul, okay. I mean, it's not a Target gift card, but sure. So I'm walking through and I come to the table and I realize integrity. <laughs> they, these people were giving these gifts to my kids and I, and I felt so, uh, I felt unsettled about taking these shoes and, and taking it to the party that was going to be catered. Oh, Jesus, it was going to be catered. And I felt so wrong about that. And so I, I, I decided, okay, I'm just going to get what my kids would want because this is for my kids. And I'm, I'm walking up to check out, and I have this thought. And sometimes when God invites us to give, we have to take risks. And we have to look a little foolish. And so I walk up and I have this thought, I'm just gonna ask them, since this is for Christmas, that if they have any shoes and socks left over after Christmas, could we come and pick them up because the party is 12 days after Christmas. So I'm just gonna say, if, they're not, if you're not gonna use them, if nobody ends up picking out these shoes, can I come and take them to this party? So I explain to the sweet volunteer what I wanna do and she says, well, nobody's ever asked us that, so I can't send, socks, can't send anything home with you today, and I can't tell you yes or no today, but here's what I'll do. Give me your email address, and I'll talk to the supervisor, and we'll just see what can happen. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you are too rude. Like, I just made myself really vulnerable and, 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 and took a risk and asked these people, and now they can't even give me a yes or no. So now I'm going to go home, and I'm really going to plot out Operation Sneak In with the Rich because I want to go to this party. So I get home. We have Christmas. It's a great day. A couple days after Christmas, I get an email from the supervisor, and she said, one of my volunteers told me your story. And we were actually just going to take these shoes and give them to someplace like Goodwill. But if you and your kids want to come and collect whatever's left over in trash bags, you're welcome to have it. So my family walked into that party. We didn't sneak in with all these socks and shoes for homeless children. And I already thought, there you go, Jesus. I mean, why do you have to take my husband's back? But whatever. There you go showing up. 
But a few weeks later, I'm out with this friend, and she says, you know, one of the things that really touched me was how many people showed up to the party. But what I didn't expect was for us to have shoes and socks for children, because most everybody brought adult stuff, but you and your family brought things for kids. And I was able to bring these socks and shoes, and we were able to take care of some of the kids of some of my clients. And that's because you guys came to the party. So we don't know. We can, we can in our mind, uh, dismiss and belittle all the things, all the ways that we can give. And we can self-select out. Or we can take a risk and we can show up and give and come and see that we are a part of God's mission of restoring the world through our faithfulness, through our generosity. So our second everyday epiphany is come and know your worth. And our last everyday epiphany is come and see, go and tell. And this is a theme that is, is prevalent in a lot of uh, liturgies and readings about epiphany because the Magi didn't just stay in that beautiful holy space with Jesus. The Magi came and they met Jesus and then they went back to their hometown, oh, their home country. They came and saw Jesus, but then they went back and told of their experience. Come and see and go and tell is important for us kingdom people because when we come into this space together, we're not coming for a week, weekly pep talk. We're not coming for a social club. We're not coming for a gold star of righteousness. We are coming to meet Jesus. Because in this space of being with Jesus, we are reminded that we belong and we are beloved. But here's the deal. There's a whole world of people. There are friends that you have, co-workers you know, neighbors who need to know that they belong and they are beloved too. And I think this trips us up because a lot of times when we think about coming and seeing, going and telling, we think, oh, the only story I really have that has to do with my faith is my story of salvation. And for me, I struggle with that because my story of salvation started when I was five. I was getting down with Jesus with Kool-Aid and graham crackers, y'all. There was nothing sensational or amazing. I wasn't going down the spiral and he reached and pulled me out. I mean, if the spiral was anything, it was a temper tantrum that my mom fixed. So where is Jesus? Where was Jesus really in my story? And I think for so many of us, we dismiss the ways that God shows up in our everyday lives in real and meaningful ways. And you don't know how that story of how God showed up for you can inspire and move other people towards seeing the light of Jesus, towards finding their belonging. After I had my third child, I was deeply depressed. And I was sad, and I had the baby blues after every baby, but here's the deal. My first baby, we were a young couple, and we had intentionally moved into an urban neighborhood where there were drive-bys on the regular. Of course, you're going to be sad when you bring a baby home to that. And then our second baby, we had just evacuated Hurricane Katrina, and so we were starting our whole life over, and I was cold all the time because Boston is cold, y'all. And... And so I was like, of course, I'm miserable. I moved from New Orleans to Boston, and I have two babies, and I lost everything. Of course, I'm sad. But then my third baby came, and I was so, so sad. And I felt so hopeless all the time, and I felt like a failure 
all the time. So much so that one afternoon, while my husband was at work, I decided that my kids would be better off if I wasn't around. I had had a scary moment that morning where I had an imagination of one of my kids getting hurt because I neglected them because I could not get off of the couch. And so I thought, I just, my husband can do a better job. We're part of a church. Those church women can take care of these babies better than me. And so I put my children down for a nap, and I went and, poured, went and started a bathtub, and I took a paring knife out of our kitchen, and I closed myself up in our bathroom, prepared to take myself out of the equation altogether. But praise God, my husband forgot something, and so he came home from work to pick up something, and he hears me weeping on the other side of the bathroom, and he's begging me to open the door so he can talk to me, and I keep telling him, I can't do this anymore, so I hear him. He picks up his phone, and he calls our pastor, and he says, I don't know what to do. Can you come and help my wife? And so our pastor comes, and he brings the associate pastor at that time, who was a wife and mother, and she's, I, can, I, can, I, I hear her put her hands on the door, and I hear her not put her head on the door, and she's whispering, Oshita, open the door, open the door. And I open the door, and she comes in, and she starts to hold me and hug me, and she starts to speak kingdom truth over me, that I am loved, and that I am beloved, and that I am enough, and that I am needed. And she, start, and she turns to the pastor, and she says, call her doctor. And so our pastor calls the doctor, and our pastor says, she is struggling right now. And he says, and he turns to my husband, and he says, uh, he, he says, we think we, the doctor thinks she needs to see a therapist. And so my pastor says, give us the name and number of a therapist. And so he writes it down and he hands it to the associate pastor. And her name's Diane. And she leaves the room and she starts. And I hear her calling a therapist. And my doctor's on the phone with my doctor. And my husband is holding me. And I look up and I say, this is Jesus showing up for me right now. But that was a precious moment for me. I didn't want people to know what was going on. My dad is a psychologist. I can get mental health for free. I should know how to manage mental health. And I didn't want anybody to know about this. This was just a personal, private epiphany just for me. But then I'm working on my book, and my point of, I'm at the point in my book where I'm really emphasizing our kingdom belonging and our enoughness to Jesus. And I feel the Spirit say, you need to tell them about your postpartum depression. And I'm thinking, no, this is just between you and me, Lord. This is just my story. You helped me get through this, but I don't want anybody else to know this. And so I write the story, the book publishes. I'm sharing about the book, and I am surprised because my story of God showing up for me when I was moments from taking my life started resonating with so many young mothers. They were saying to me, I didn't even know that it was okay for a Christian woman to talk about depression. I didn't even know that it was okay for Christians to get to seek a therapist. I didn't know that it was okay for me to acknowledge depression and sadness. I thought the joy of the Lord was our strengths. But seeing how Jesus showed up for you, that moment where he was real for you, makes me want to know that he is real for me right now. So my friends, how, what epiphany moment are you holding on to that you're just saying, this is just between you and me, God, I don't want to tell anybody. Epiphany invites us to come and see Jesus show up in that moment, then go and tell. 
Go and tell because there is a world that is looking for the light and the light is in your story. So where are you today, my friends? Do you feel like an outsider because of the color of your skin, because of your family culture, because of your education, because of something that you have decided makes you less than, not worthy, that you don't fit in? Do you feel like an outsider? Do you feel like you need to change and get better before you can meet Jesus? Epiphany says, come just as you are. Do you struggle with with encouragements from the front of giving your time and your energy and your money because you don't think you have enough? Or you think that the little bit that you have to offer isn't going to do anything? Epiphany says, you matter. In God's economy, you matter. You are worthy. Epiphany invites you to come and know your worth. Come and know how your gift can perpetuate and extend the kingdom mission. And are you holding on to an epiphany story? Has Jesus been beautiful for you? And you don't want to tell anybody because you're afraid? Take courage, dear friend. There's light in that story that needs to be shown in the world. Epiphany invites you to come and see Jesus then go and tell. So if you feel so comfortable, I would invite you to stand as I pray this sending prayer over you so that you can live in the beauty of epiphany. At this point, I'd like to invite the prayer team to come up. They'll be back here, and they are ready to pray with you for any and every need you may have. We deeply believe that, that prayer is one of our epiphany moments where we can see Jesus meet us. And if you feel so comfortable, would you please extend your hands as I pray this benediction over you, inspired by Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, who has revealed to us this epiphany, that you may come just as you are, that you may come and see and know your worth, and that you may come and see Jesus in a real way, then go and tell. That we may as one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, because he has made himself manifest and real for us today. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord, my friends.